You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I do pray at this time that ultimately not my words, but Jesus, your living word would go forth, I pray in his name. Amen. As we begin this morning, I ask you a a potentially dangerous and distracting question. Uh, And that question to you is is this, um, as we begin this morning, who is it um, that you most dislike? Um, Who is it that you most um, dislike? Um, And yes, you may keep it to yourself, um, or or most um, distrust, um, or or even um, most um, disdain. Who uh, is that person, or, or perhaps not a, not a person? Who are um, those people? And, and chances are none of us um, struggle um, to put someone um, or some people into that particular group. And the reason that I bring that up this morning, uh, and I guess I ask a second question along with that uh, while we're on this, what is it about them? What is it about them that, that leads you to most uh, dislike, distrust, uh, again, even, uh, even distest, dis- detest? Is it their, is it their arrogance um, or their self-righteousness? Is it their indifference? Uh, is it their carelessness, um, their thoughtlessness? What is it um, about them? Uh, and the reason I ask you that question is this. We see Jesus going to his hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus uh, begins to preach in a way which is initially well-received. And then we see things turn um, dramatically on Jesus. And of course, we hear that the people um, are so enraged that they take him to the brow of the hill, desiring to throw Jesus off the brow of the hill. And I begin with that question for you and for me because it will be pertinent as we continue to look at the scriptures this morning and unpack them, but it also gives us a window into what was it um, that pressed the buttons uh, of the people of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus came and taught in their synagogue. It, it begins normally, uh, not surprisingly, they gather together in the synagogue. The scripture is handed to Jesus and it is the prophet Isaiah. And we hear that Jesus reads from the prophet um, Isaiah chapter 61 and, and adds to that. We, we read that last um, Sunday Um, We didn't read that particular portion immediately before this morning. The the spirit um, of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach um, good news um, to the poor, to release um, to those um, who are captives, um, to uh, God's favor, um, God's favor uh, upon the people. These words Jesus um, speaks, and initially we we hear that they say, is is not this Joseph's um, son? Uh, And perhaps there is a certain marveling, perhaps there is a certain questioning. We we know them, but we hear that they are impressed by the power and the clarity with which he speaks. Uh, The words which he shares um, have resonance, uh, but then of course, uh, Jesus goes uh, as he is wont to do, uh, and he does not leave it there. And he says these words to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What, you, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he goes on and two people um, are mentioned during the time of Elijah and during the time of Elisha. 
Uh, and the words um, which he shares, the stories which he tells are of God's mercy and grace going out to two people uh, that the people of Israel loathed. We hear that it went out to a widow, uh, we are told, uh, in the land of Sidon, uh, but also even, even worse, and that was bad enough, but not only did it go out to a widow uh, of Zarephath and Sidon, but it also went out to Naaman the Syrian. And so Jesus speaks of God's grace and God's mercy, God's blessing, God's restorative favor falling upon people um, that the people of Nazareth would have hated falling upon people that they would have detested, falling upon people that they would, uh, and, and really quite frankly, for, for good reason, they would have distrusted them as well. Um, it, wouldn't, it would not be um, entirely unfounded. Naaman the Syrian had actually been one of the people that had besieged the people of Israel. And after that, he had taken home with him a, a maid, a slave um, girl who had served in his house. And we hear the story of, and it's in 2 Kings 5. I encourage you um, to read it. It is um, succinct. And there's so much uh, in this brief portion. We hear about Naaman the Syrian. And, and Naaman the Syrian um, was a person that was tremendously accomplished. Uh, he was a person um, that was uh, tremendously powerful. Um, he had you know, basically um, everything going for him, but there is that one uh, critical word uh, which often comes up in the Bible. We hear, but. Naaman had all of these things, but um, we are told he was a leper. Uh, and the maid uh, that had been taken, uh, that was in his house, told Naaman's wife, um, that there was a man, there was a prophet in Israel who could heal and who could restore um, Naaman. And so Naaman goes um, to the king of Syria and asks uh, for his um, permission to travel to Israel. Um, and so not only does the king of Syria give him uh, permission, but he, he gives him a king's ransom as well. There's gold and there's silver um, and there's um, changes of clothes. Uh, there are 10 um, changes of clothes, a king's ransom that he takes with him. And he arrives and he offers these to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, we're told, rips his clothes. And he says, why would you do this to me? Am I God that I could heal, that I could um, restore? Why do you bring down um, this judgment upon me? But Elisha um, hears the word, and he sends word to the king of Israel um, to direct Naaman to him, that he might know um, that there is a God, that he might know who the true God is, uh, that he might be healed and that he might be restored, that God um, would be glorified and known um, to Naaman the Syrian. And we hear that Naaman comes um, to the house of Elisha, and again, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you again, 2 Kings 5, go read it, uh, because uh, it's, it's humorous, because when Naaman arrives at the home of Elisha, Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. <laughs> Imagine Naaman the Syrian, a commander, the treatment that he was used to receiving, and Elijah doesn't even come to the door, but he sends this messenger um, out to him. And the message from the messenger is this, go and dip seven times um, in the river Jordan uh, and you will be cleansed. And Naaman is furious. Not only would Elisha not come out um, to greet him uh, at the door, but he, he notes rightly, uh, the Jordan can't begin to compare to our rivers. Um, imagine people coming to Birmingham and we tell them, go and dip in the Cahaba. 
Uh, they say this river is nothing. Naaman is, is furious uh, about this and he is uh, about um, to miss out, but he is convinced and he goes and he dips himself um, seven times in the Jordan and we hear that he is cleansed. We hear um, that he is restored and he returns um, to the home uh, of Elisha and Elisha comes out um, and speaks to him. And I began with those questions this morning. I, I share that with you. We begin to see some of why the people of Jesus's day would find the words of Jesus so offensive uh, in this particular moment. Uh, because of course, what he's talking about is God's love and God's grace and God's surprising favor um, that goes out to people who don't deserve it. To go, that goes out to people upon whom uh, judgment uh, and wrath should fall rather than mercy um, and restoration. And of course, uh, as you and I um, hear that, we, we, we hear that um, through the lens of Jesus Christ. Um, we hear that uh, with a different ear uh, than the people of Jesus' day. As, as Jesus stood up and read these words from the prophet Isaiah, of course, to you and to me, they're incredibly resonant. Uh, seeing these words is speaking very specifically to Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who is promised. And the people of Jesus' day would have longed and looked for the Messiah as well, but they would not have heard, they wouldn't have heard these words with indifference, but they would not have heard them with the same import that you and I hear them with. Uh, but they are challenged, um, they are um, angry um, because uh, the people who had um, wronged them are people uh, spoken of by God as people who receive his unmerited grace um, and his unmerited mercy. And that was a word of challenge for them and it's a word of challenge for, for you and for me as well, because again, that, that resonates with us, does it, does it not? And, and as I say that, please um, hear importantly that uh, the Christian life doesn't mean or doesn't call us to call wrong right um, or right wrong. It doesn't mean that we can't confront the things that, that, that are wrong, that are hurtful, that are um, harmful. Um, Christianity and God's love and God's grace and God's mercy also deal in truth. We're, we're not called to put those um, aside. And, and yet one of the things that we see about our faith uh, is that it necessarily not only visits us with God's grace and God's mercy, but it also pushes us out as well, doesn't it? Uh, it also um, pushes us out. Uh, and that's challenging because quite frankly, all of us in one way or another, um, we, could, we prefer control to vulnerability. We prefer control um, to vulnerability. And we read this morning um, this portion from Paul. And, and you may say, oh no, not the love passage. Um, not the love um, passage for Paul. And, and, and perhaps it's because the way in which love is so often presented is, is sentimental and, and insincere and, and, and really um, sappy. But interestingly, what Paul wonderfully, in a, in a, in a fantastic way as we read this, uh, he puts teeth to what love looks like. Uh, it's not just something bland. It's not something um, sentimental. There's, there's meat uh, in the way in which love um, is described. And importantly, uh, this uh, portion of 13, uh, the 13th chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians uh, immediately follows um, Paul speaking on spiritual gifts. Uh, and not surprisingly, the people of, of Corinth are people um, which are 
very familiar to you and to me because in many ways they, they represent us. The, the people of Corinth were, were very, they'd much rather talk about their gifts than their weaknesses. Um, they were very um, interested um, in their gifts and they were um, competitive in the way that they exercised um, their spiritual gifts. And, and Paul addresses the importance of spiritual gifts, how they are given um, by God, how they are important in building up um, the whole of the body. But there's a transition made between 12 and 13. Paul says, but now I will show you a more excellent way. And we hear, of course, those words, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but, but have not love, I'm, I'm nothing. Uh, I'm just I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, Paul says, in essence, I'm, I'm a distraction. If I have all of these tremendous gifts, uh, but all of these gifts aren't grounded um, in love, um, they are nothing. And then, uh, wonderfully, and in some ways, unfortunately for you and for me, Paul begins to speak what, to what love looks like. And let me read it for you uh, again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, um, love um, never ends. And those are wonderful words, but as I read them, and perhaps as you hear them, uh, I have to confess um, that, that my love often looks very different than that. Uh, but one of the things that we hear is God um, extends love to you and to me. One of the things we hear that is God um, pushes us out um, in his service is that um, for you and for me to love uh, is an act of dependence. Um, for you and for me um, to love, it is an act of dependence. John rightly notes uh, in his letter, we love uh, because Christ first um, loved us. Uh, Jesus is necessarily rightly the, the, the source um, of that love, which flows up um, to restore you and me in relationship with God. Because, of course, at the heart uh, of the proclamation of the gospel uh, before the good news is the reality that you and I are people who have lived as enemies of Christ. We are people who have lived um, as enemies of Christ and enemies um, of, of one another. Uh, and that, that behavior um, is hard to break. Uh, and we need a power beyond ourselves to break it. And I mentioned the story of Naaman the Syrian that Jesus references as he speaks to the people. And of course, we hear that Naaman dipped seven times in the Jordan and he was cleansed uh, from his leprosy. What you and I have is something infinitely um, greater. I mentioned that we are people who have lived as, as enemies um, of God and yet people who have received mercy. And in Jesus Christ, as he comes forth into the world, what we're washed with is his blood. We're washed with the blood of lamb, the blood of the lamb. We are made whole. We are um, restored um, in such a way that we have a stability that enables um, that unmerited love and grace and favor to begin to um, flow up in our lives as well. Uh, ultimately, the opportunity given to you and to me is the recognition that we were uh, we were people that didn't deserve that didn't deserve that mercy, didn't deserve that gift, and yet. God willingly, graciously visits his love and his grace and his favor upon you and me. And he comes 
um, to set us free because otherwise we're captives. Otherwise um, we are captives and we hear that we are people through the gracious intervention of God are, are people who are washed, uh, who are filled with God's love and grace, freed by it, um, that those uh, truths and realities might begin to flow from our lives as well. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would visit upon us the truth, the necessity um, that we would be washed uh, by Jesus, your Son, and that having been so washed, being recipients of your love and your grace and your favor, that it might indeed um, give in our lives a, a freedom uh, and a security that might shape and fashion the way we live with you and one another. This we ask and offer now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.